athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. This is Box to Row, the dopest show on radio. I'm your host, Donald Ware. Thank you for joining us on the Howard University Radio Network, whether you're listening on Sirius XM Channel 141, HUR Voices, Sirius XM Channel 142, HBCU, RWHUR World 96.3 HD2 in Washington. Hope you're safe and staying safe wherever you are. We're going to do something a little bit different today here on Box to Row. As a matter of fact, you know Box to Row is the show where sports and entertainment meet. And each and every year at the end of a respective year in December, we'll do a best of or take a listen back at some of our most memorable interviews from that respective year. Well, since we're four months into the the year here, uh, we're going to take a look back at some of the memorable interviews from the last three or four months here on Box to Row. You know, it, it, it's it's going to be a mix of sports and entertainment since that's what we do here on the program. Also going to have a new interview, a, a, a new interview uh, today. As a matter of fact, joining us, I should say today here on Box to Row, Sarah Wayne Callies. And you re- may remember her from shows such as Prison Break, The Walking Dead, Colony. She's done a bunch of different things. Well, she's going to be part uh, of a new series on NBC called Council of Dads. Council of Dads. I didn't have a chance to watch the premiere uh, on Tuesday, but the show is going to resume uh, Thursday, April 30th at 8 p.m. That's 7 p.m. Central and the subsequent Thursdays. Again, it will resume, meaning Council of Dads, Thursday, April 30th, and happen subsequent Thursdays at 8 p.m. 7 Central on NBC. So that should be uh, a whole lot of fun, and we're looking forward to hearing from Sarah Wayne Callies right here, Box to Row. And, of course, if you want to participate here on the program Hit me up via Twitter at box to row B O X T O R O W. Also follow us while you're there on Facebook B O X the number two R O W and on Instagram as well at box to row B O X T O R O W or on my personal Twitter account at D one at D one and on Instagram at where Donald. Again, thank you to all of you 
that are listening to us on the Howard University radio network. Those listening to us on Sirius XM channel 141 HR Voices on Sirius XM channel 142 HBCU and on WHUR World 96.3 HD2 in our nation's capital. Well, you know, we began things off in the month of January here. And, and, and I want to give you a reminder uh, also that you can listen uh, to from the press box to press row uh, each and every weekend on a radio station near you. Log on to our website at box Click on the affiliates link to find a radio station in your area that carries the program. Well, we had a good show. We, we had actually a good month of January. All, all the months were good, and as they typically are here uh, on Box to Row. And we had a chance to catch up with Paola, uh, Paola Nunez, I should say, one of the stars of Bad Boys for Life, which is was a big hit. It was a really good movie. Had a chance. I, I'm a big, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the Bad Boys series. I, two wasn't as good as one. But three was better than two. Two was okay. But, I mean, you know, you're talking about that franchise. Anything pretty much Jerry Bruckheimer puts out, uh, I'm all about. And we had a chance to catch up with Paola Nunez uh, during the month of January to talk with her about her role on Bad Boys for Life. Well, uh, yeah, I play Rita Sicada. She's a cop. She's more about, um, she's head of ammo. And uh, this is like a, a, a small, specialized elite group that uses all the technology, the technology and of the the advances that uh, for policing nowadays. And it's like almost like the counterpart of Michael Lowry, uh, like Will Smith's character, which is like he's more of all the old school kind of ways, and Rita is the new school. And they had a previous relationship with which makes it more complicated because now she comes back as her boss to to, take, uh, to be part of a mission, and that doesn't make any of them happy. You know, in, in preparing for this interview, one of the interviews that I saw, you now you've been an outspoken, or you've been outspoken in terms of the pay gap between what Latina women receive and then what men receive. You mentioned it was something like 54 cent uh, for for every, for every fifth, dollar, yeah, that that the men receive. Speak about that. Well, I feel that it's it's part of what I was yeah talking about about the you know uh, we're in this situation. It's it's you know it's the past and it's a, it's a fight that we are fighting. It's slow, but like I said, the actors, the Latina actors that came before us, the, the women especially, opened the doors. Like Salma opened the doors thanks to her. I'm here and taking thanks to. Uh, Kate and I, maybe it's going to be easier for other actresses. And then we're going to, you know, we have to start worrying about um, the money, you know, the the money that we deserve as Latina actresses also, and just the quality of uh, of our work. And uh, it, it's also a, a state of mind, I feel. Being here, we should, like, I am super grateful that I am working uh, as a Latina actor but also, I am grateful, but I also value my work, and I also value who I am. So I think as Latinos in general, especially women that work, not only uh, actresses, but uh, women like workers here in, in the States, we have to value our work and demand to, 
get paid as we deserve, what we deserve. Bad Boys for Life star Paola Nunez. Also in January, here on Box to Row, had a chance to catch up with R&B crooner Will Downing. Talked with him about, of course, a little bit of sports and then his time as a student at Virginia Union University. What was interesting about Union for me, uh, as I said before, I'm a, I'm a New Yorker. I'm born and raised and bred in Brooklyn, New York. So I used to spend my summers in the South, where my relatives was uh, were, but I, I didn't, not for extended, extended periods of time. So we go for a few weeks in the summer, and then you come back to New York. So when I graduated high school, I was going into the Marines, and but I was too young, and my parents wouldn't sign the consent form. So I... I ran into a teacher of mine that I that's gone to high school who taught me in high school, and he had suggested, like, hey, man, there's a school in Richmond, Virginia who would be interested in taking you on. You know, they're looking for art students, which is what I was. I studied the arts in high school. And I said, man, you can go for free. I was like, you kidding me. So I ran off to Richmond, Virginia. So the whole lifestyle of the South, as being a hardcore New Yorker was just like the biggest wake-up call ever. And I made some amazing friends down there, and it, it made me concentrate on life. It gave me some focus. And, man, I, and we're friends. I'm friends with these people to this day. And it was just the best life experience you could ever have, man. I loved going to Virginia Union, man. I loved every moment of it. Big Man, that's awesome. Big shout-out, of course, to HBCUs. Um, so, and, and I think Union had a... Had I think at the time you were going there, they had a they had already won a national championship. Had a pretty good. I was gonna say, go on and say it. CIAA <laughs> champions. <laughs> go, don't be afraid to say it. Let it out. No, let no, it out. No, not only that, national champs too. They they got like four of those over the time. Uh, so, yeah. So did you go to many CIAA tournaments? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, just, see, when I was there, man. You know, Oakley was there. Yeah. So, man, he was like the dude to watch. You know what I mean? And and but what was so interesting about the school that I went to, and, and we didn't even, it wasn't even big enough. We didn't have our own band. <laughs> so <laughs> you walk across the street, and we played on. We didn't have our own field. We played on like the high school field. <laughs> you know, right. across the street from the school, man. So just to imagine these players that came out of Union. Some of them going pro, whether it be in basketball or football, whatever it may be. And then even the the, the ladies' basketball team, unfreaking believable to this day. Yeah. You know, so, man, an amazing school, amazing athletes. You find amazing talent all over the world, all over the country. Yeah, no question. Speaking of, uh, speaking of uh, uh, Charles Oakley, so he ultimately went to – uh, went to the, ultimately that is went to the Knicks. So are you are you a, now being a New Yorker? Are you a Knicks fan? I I, I was. <laughs> <laughs> yes, past tense was. Yeah, man. The, the the Dolan family. They uh, I don't get it, man. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. As I said, I'm a hardcore New Yorker. I, I it's hard for me to fathom that a major metropolis, a major city, we don't have. A star. <laughs> we don't have a star. Yeah. Yeah. And this is not knocking the players, the young players that are coming in, you know, R.J. Bennett, you know, love them. You know, a good, good player. But, like, we don't have a legitimate star, man. It's just, it's just hard to swallow, man. So I kind of stopped being a, a, a Knicks fan, man. 
I follow the Nets more than I follow the Knicks. I was going to say you're a Brooklyn guy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and when I, you know, I'm, I'm a resident of Jersey now, and when the Nets played out here, and they called it called the Swamp, you know, I literally lived like two exits away from the Swamp, man. And that's when nobody was going to the games, when they were, the, you know, the Jersey Nets, you know, with Drazen Petrovic back in the day, them days. And, man, you can get there and, and hell, if you got there early enough, you could probably suit up and play. <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah <laughs> so I, i'm a net fan man uh they they ain't, they ain't playing worth a darn they lost seven in a row but <laughs> they're entertaining to watch <laughs> <laughs> will downing back in january talking virginia union and some sports still to come here on this special edition of box to row I've got a career interview that I've had back in February that I'm going to replay for you. Also, an interview with a NASCAR driver as well. And an interview with a civil rights leader as well. This is a special edition of Box to Row. Uh, Don't forget to check us out each and every Saturday on the radio station that you're currently listening to on the Howard University Radio Network. We're back with more of Box to Row. We're right here listening to one of my favorite guys, Donald, going from the press box to press row. He's like a lighter to my cigarette. Watch me smoke. I never knew another human life. Could have a power to... You're listening to... From the Press Box to Press Row. Rough, 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 rough. Uh. Rough, rough, to come here on this special edition of Box to Row. Actress Sarah Wayne Callies going to join us on the program, talk with us about her role in the new TV series, Council of Dads. Also in January, tragedy struck as Kobe Bryant, his daughter, and seven others killed in a helicopter accident. And had a chance to catch up with one of his former teammates, Lindsey Hunter, who was a teammate of Kobe Bryant's and a adversary, if you will, when they played in the league. Of course, a graduate, one of the all-time greats at Jackson State is Lindsey Hunter. Had a chance to talk with him about the life and times of Kobe Bryant. Like else, uh, Kobe was a false report and somebody was you know, playing one of those celebrity things. Um, but once I found out, you know, it was true, uh, just taken back, um, it, it just seems surreal that, you know, nobody wanted to leave the initial reports and we all were just afraid it was a bad dream. And we would wake up from it, taking everybody a long time to really come to grips with what, what, what has happened. And yet we just mourn for that uh, he left behind you, you, you were again, as I mentioned. I mean, you were a, a teammate 
Um, and I mean, you played against him in the league. Of course, you played in the league uh, for 17 seasons, won two NBA uh, titles. Speak about um, going up as uh, as a non teammate, if you will, against uh, against Kobe. You know, we we just knew that, that um, how he approached the game. Um, that anytime you played in Kobe, man, you 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 had your hands full. Um, he was very uh, studious about the game and um, and just how uh, ferocious he competed. Um, you know, top two most competitive people that have ever played in the NBA. And, you know, of course, he idolized Michael and, and emulated as Michael did. And, and you know, to this day, he's the closest thing we had to, to playing like Michael. And then for you, that 2001-2002 season when you signed uh, or when you were with the Lakers, um, playing with him, what, what was that like? And you guys, of course, won um, that uh, NBA championship. Well, you know, and that was my first time uh, being on a championship uh, level team. So it, uh, you know, I learned so much about um, what it really took and how much work, you know, get to that point. Um, and and watching Kobe, uh, I got to see firsthand next level his preparation was. It was second to none. Knowing what he had already put in for the summer, I had so much respect. Because, you know, I consider myself a worker. I, I take pride in the hard work. Two-time NBA champion Lindsey Hunter talking about Kobe Bryant. Moving on to the month of February on this special edition of Box to Row. I had a, I'll tell you what, had a, a pretty much a career interview in terms of in-person. A lot of these interviews that we do are via phone. And so had a chance, as a matter of fact, uh, we are in Raleigh, had a chance to drive the two and a half hours and talk with one of the legendary sports figures of all time, uh, Pro Football Hall of Famer, now NASCAR Hall of Famer, Washington Redskins or former Washington Redskins head coach Joe Gibbs. All right, I'm here with the legendary coach and legendary NASCAR owner, uh, Joe Gibbs, who, of course, is going into the NASCAR uh, Hall of Fame. And uh, Coach Gibbs, first of all, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you. I appreciate it, Donald, uh, getting a chance to speak to you. And I just found out you're a Redskin fan. I'm all fired up. <laughs> Big time Redskins fans. We'll talk a little bit more about that. What is it? I mean, you're already in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, three Super Bowls. What does it now mean to be inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame? Well, when you get uh, something like this and you think about it, for me, my entire life has been teams. And I found that I was a very poor athlete, so I made up my mind I was always going to be in team sports, <laughs> not individual sports. And if you do that, you can kind of hide on good teams and get some of the credit when you win. And I've done the same thing in NASCAR, really. Uh, we got great people, you know, over 500 people there working at um, our race team, and they've done the work, and then I get shoved up front. Um, but I've been so blessed. To, I know I'm one of the most, I guess, luckiest people in the world because I've been able to enjoy two great times in my life and careers, football and racing. Most people in life never get one. And I've got two, so I, I realized how fortunate I am and how many people it took to get me here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And then also, I mean, with that, going in with Tony Stewart and Bobby Labonte, who were two of, I guess, your first and second drivers, as a matter of fact, when you got into this. Yeah. Yeah, I, actually, uh, those two guys, um, first of all, they gave us three of our championships, Bobby the first and then Tony with two. I got so many memories of those guys and fun things we did, and a few times, a few intense <laughs> things with Tony. But uh, we joke about that all the time. But I think the fact that uh, those two guys, really what's happened in racing, when you get in it, we, you know, I originally um, met with uh, Interstate Batteries. We didn't have a driver. We didn't have a race shop or anything. And so when we recruit and get going with your drivers and everything, to have those two guys, they really had a lot to do with building our race team and getting wins and us being able to get sponsors. So they were a big part of our history. How does one go from being winning three Super Bowls and being a Hall of Fame football coach to getting into NASCAR? Well, I, like I said, I'm probably the f- most fortunate guy in the world. When we were enjoying football, and our whole family did, um, both J.D. and Coy played in college, and Coy uh, played at Stanford and everything, and then, you know, we all enjoyed football. I was coaching it. And so as we grew up in that world, the two boys, though, as they came along, J.D. and Coy, they were all on everything that had a motor. They were on it, go-karts, jet skis, motocross bikes. And so we would go to races. We love races. I had hot rods and stuff when I was a teenager growing up in Southern California. And so the farther we went, the boys said, hey, Dad, can we, you know, hey, we'd like to start a race team. And it was kind of, it was really a dream. And we put a dream on a sheet of paper. We didn't have anything. And visited Norm Miller at Interstate Batteries in Dallas, and he said, let's do this. And so that's kind of our history. Our history was we were in football all the fun things in football, but all of us love motorsports, and the two boys were always involved with something, racing something, and so that's really kind of our history. Wow, so I, I would assume that same drive, as it were, in football, you brought that to NASCAR, I mean, three Super Bowl champions, four uh, NASCAR Cup Series championships. Well, I think the, the um, it's, it's still t- it's teamwork, and what I found the whole time I was in football, grew up in it, I was more the technical person over there because you design plays, call plays, and be the coach. When I moved to racing, that I did not grow up in racing. I wasn't a technical person. So with the race team, I tried to pick the people, keep the sponsors happy, and I told everybody my biggest thrill is to try and pay the bills the first of every month. <laughs> so <laughs> a different role. But I found that both those worlds are so close to each other because they all evolve around people, competition, and if you get the right people together, you're going to be successful. The Super Bowl championships, um, any one of them, three of them, three different quarterbacks, any one of them more special than the other? No, I don't really think so. I mean, it's hard. You can't separate those, all for different reasons. Obviously, our first one with everybody, Joe Theismann, but... The thing I like to emphasize, we played great defense and great special teams those years. We were well-balanced. So the first one was the first one, and that's so special and everything that goes there. And the second one was when we had the great second quarter there, down 10 nothing, and Doug Williams' story and everything that was wrapped into that. And, again, our defense did such a great job for us and teams. And then the last one, 91, was 
with that that team just had a real closeness to it and um i think if you look at all three of them totally different a thrill you couldn't express you know i try and express what that meant to us and you can't they're just all special and different and uh loved every minute of it and it was a thrill how are you i mean obviously you're into this it's going well for you i mentioned four cup series championships um you, you don't have any plans to re- five five cup series championships. You don't. Have, I, I don't want to short you. I don't want to short you, Coach. Uh, uh, no no plans to retire anytime soon, right? Yeah, no, I think they'll probably uh, carry me out. <laughs> I think I don't know what I'd do really. I can't go home because Pat don't want me hanging around there. Uh, but you know, I, I just I just love being a part of the action. I love honestly every weekend. We go to the racetrack and, and trying to compete against the best race teams in the world, try and win, the thrill of that. I don't think I would ever be happy if I'm not involved in something competitive that you're trying to accomplish something. I think that's kind of my world. An absolute honor for me as a Redskins fan. And then, of course, the success that you're having uh, in NASCAR. Uh, congratulations on the induction and continued success in all you do. Thank you, Donald. I appreciate so it. So having a chance to catch up with Joe Gibbs. Pro Football Hall of Famer, three-time Super Bowl champion as a coach and NASCAR Hall of Famer. And after the interview, he uh, gave me a little pamphlet. It's called uh, Joe Gibbs Game Plan for Life. And for more information, his son passed away uh, about a year ago or so. And so we chatted a little bit about that. And he gave me some information about that. JDGibbsLegacy.com. JDGibbsLegacy.com is where you can find out more information. It's a great, you know, Joe Gibbs is, uh, I tell you what, he's a, a he's uh, a faithful man. And, uh, you know, that sh- really, to me, shone through in the interview and the, the pamphlet that he gave me. I mean, it had a lot of, you know, just a, a lot of uh, of his own personal um, story, some some dealings that he has had throughout the not just with the loss of his son, but through, throughout the course uh, of his career. And so, again, I'd invite you uh, to visit jdgibbslegacy.com for more information. Still to come here on this special edition of Box to Row here on a, the uh, HURN or, or Howard University Radio Network. Still a couple of more interviews to go. A NASCAR driver, a civil rights leader. But up next, we're going to be joined by actress Sarah Wayne Kelly's after this small pause for the cause. This is Box to Row. Let's continue here on from the press box to press row. As a matter of fact, uh, the premiere of Council of Dads uh, happened on Tuesday and the show is going to reappear on April 30th each Thursday 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern and one of the stars of the show you've seen her in Prison Break you've seen her in The Walking Dead you've seen her in Colony she is Sarah Wayne Callie she joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row Sarah welcome to the program Thank you so much for having me Donald Absolutely glad to have you how how are you just want to ask how are you getting sort of along you and your family as far as this uh, coronavirus is concerned? You know, I appreciate you asking. We're doing okay. Um, we live in the woods, and actually I think the countryside is a much easier place to be right now. We're having a lot of bonfires. We're, you know, not really seeing anybody, but we've got 
got the company of the four of us, me and my two kids and my husband and a couple of dogs and a cat and, uh, you know, cooking a lot, spending a lot of time together and we're grateful that everybody in the family is safe and healthy. How are you? Uh, uh, thank you for asking, Sarah. My family and I are here. Matter of fact, we're doing this from my home studio, so I appreciate you asking. Uh, we are doing, the five of us are doing well uh, also. Thank you for asking. Um, so Glad l- to hear it. Yes, thank you. So Council of Death, this is, this is different. Like This is different than what we've seen you in, most notably the three uh, uh, series that I mentioned. So tell us a little bit about Council of Dads and your specific role. Well, you know, it's interesting. When I signed on to do this uh, in February of 2019, I looked at my career and I thought, you know what, I put a lot of violence into the world, um, a lot of bleakness <laughs> into the world, and I want to do something. I want to do something that's uplifting. I want to do something that feels like it's putting hope into the world um, and that it's it's getting back to who we can be as people when we're at our best, when we're choosing to dig deep and really, uh, really stand up for other people and stand up for kids. And back in February of 2019, that was important to me. It's more important to me now today than it's really ever been in my life. And it's crazy to me that this show is landing at this moment in my life and in, in our sort of global history. Um, so I play Robin, who's uh, she's an OBGYN, she's a wife to this wonderful man, love of her life, and they've got a pile of kids, some adopted, some step, some biological, doesn't really matter to them one way or another. There's a bunch of kids. And, um, and then her husband gets diagnosed with cancer. And uh, this is something I think is all too familiar to so many of us um, in the U.S., indirectly or directly. And he comes to her at a certain point, and he goes, I've got a great idea. I'm going to assemble a council of dads, a bunch of guys to help you raise the kids uh, and get by in case I die. Isn't that a great idea? And she goes, no, it's a terrible idea. <laughs> I'm not asking for help, and I don't know some of these guys. Um, and... I don't need three husbands to replace you. Um, And so the story kind of goes from there. He's got this great idea for this council of dads, and Robin's not so sure it's such a great idea. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, no, it's interesting. I think it's, you know, I think it's apropos that it it, it was right up against This Is Us uh, on Tuesday. And again, as we mentioned, it's going to begin airing each Thursday at 8 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern, beginning on April the 30th. Uh, so no, you know the interesting thing is this, like this almost didn't happen, right? Like I read where you, uh, what almost gave up on acting after Colony. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think I hit a certain point where I thought if I am going to continue to be a storyteller, then I would like to be involved in what stories get told. Um, you know, when when they make a show, a television movie, even a play, the last thing they do is hire actors, right? Before that, you've got writers and producers who decide what stories are going to be told. We've got directors who decide how to tell them and what visual language to use. And then, you know, right before they start shooting the thing, they bring us actors in. And I really wanted to get involved at the writing and producing and directing stage. And so that's really where my whole focus was. And then when this script came along, I read it, 
And I thought, well, this is the kind of thing that I would be trying to write, direct, or produce. And it seems silly to say no just because it wasn't my idea in the first place. Um, and I'm still pursuing those other things, you know. I'm writing and, you know, I've done some directing. I'm going to continue to pursue that. But the story just meant too much to me personally to not be involved, you know. I mean, I'd, I'd kind of just buried my friend Scott Wilson and, you know, I lived with him and his wife for sort of two of the last three weeks of his life trying to be helpful and, you know, get him to eat a little bit and see what we could do to to support him. Um, and so this was so deeply personal to me that I just had to be a part of it. Yeah. That the voice of Sarah Wayne Callies. Of course, you can check her out. Council of Dads is going to uh, be back on NBC beginning on Thursday, April 30th, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern, and each subsequent Thursday. And she joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. And, you know, in seeing, I, I didn't have a chance to see the premiere, but in seeing the trailer, looks looks like a really good program. I look forward to watching it. And one of the things I really like uh, uh, from what I've seen is the diversity amongst the cast. Yeah, I mean, this is a show that looks like America. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, The Waltons was a great show, but that didn't look like America. Right. America is strong because we are not one thing. And this show, you know, there are, I think, more non-white actors than there are white actors. There are characters who are in same-sex relationships. There are characters who are in heterosexual relationships. There are people who identify with a variety of genders. There are people of every age. There are people who pray to different gods. I think this is, this is who we are, and this is what family is, right? Family is, I think, increasingly defined not necessarily by biology, but by who we choose to make our family. You know, my own son is not my blood. He's adopted. He's of a different race. Um, he is no less my son than my biological eldest child. And so I think that when I look at our poster, I'm really proud because I go, well, that's what America looks like. And that's why America works. Yeah. Yeah. No, no question about it. A couple of uh, last thoughts. Uh, a lot of great, you know, you look at writers, producers, the one that co- executive producer, and the one that caught my eye is Jerry Bruckheimer done so many things, bad boys and so on and so forth, and has gotten into TV uh, sort of as well. Speak maybe to working with uh, a great uh, cast of producers, executive uh, directors, and maybe interaction, any interaction maybe you've had specifically with Jerry Bruckheimer. Well, you know, I mean, Jerry Bruckheimer, I think uh, his wheelhouse is even more solidly um, kind of genre and action than mine. (laughs) (laughs) This show was in some ways further out of his wheelhouse than it even was of mine. And I have not met him personally. Um, I will say the people that he has working for him are extraordinary. You know, we've got a guy named James O, who's the executive in charge of our show at his company. And James has been an incredible supporter of ours and a great member of our family. And I heard through James that um, Jerry had said that this was one of the things he's done that he's more proud of than anything else. And that means the world to me you know i half of hollywood stands on the shoulders of a man like jerry bruckheimer and he has been unfailingly kind and supportive and loving in this process and uh and i'm really grateful you know i mean like i gotta say there is 
there are a brand of producers in his generation who do things by bullying people. Um, one of them was just sentenced to prison. Yeah. And I think what Jerry Bruckheimer reminds us of is that there are people in this business who succeed because they're kind and they're generous and they work really hard and they don't ask any more of anyone else than they ask of themselves and they believe in good material and they champion it the right way. Yeah. And last thought to respect the time. Uh, are you are you or anyone in your household big sports fans? If so, how are you kind of getting along with, with no sports going on right now? You know, I'm going to be perfectly honest. I am not. I'm one of those people. I'll watch Super Bowl, I'll watch the playoffs, you know, I might watch March Madness, but to be honest, probably not. I'm more of a UFC fan myself, um, so I'm a, I'm a big fight fan, and uh, those come along kind of sporadically anyway. So I'll be honest, I'm okay. Um, I'm enjoying the time to be outdoors. We live in the woods, and uh, I'm enjoying the time to just, like, you know, I'm calling an extended spring vacation. It's a chance to spend time with my kids. It's a chance to hunker down and really get down to what's important. Um, and it's a chance to try and be there for our neighbors as best we can be. You know, we're going to be okay. We're going to get through this. There's going to be a lot of sorrow and a lot of pain and a lot of grieving on the other side. Um, and we're going to have to find a new way to support one another through it. But I believe so fully in our ability to do that. We are a smart, creative, loving, compassionate people when we want to be. And I think we can make those choices, and I think we can be really good to each other through this if we if we make that choice. Very well said. Council of Dads airs Thursdays 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern, beginning on April 30th. Again, one of the stars of the series is Sarah Wayne Callies, who joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Sarah, great to catch up with you. Continued success to uh, all you do. Thank you so much for your support, and please, I hope you and your family uh, stay safe and, and be well through all this. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thanks, Donald. I have not seen, or like I mentioned, I had not seen the premiere. I do look forward to April 30th, and in some ways, in, in, in really watching the trailer, it reminded me a little bit of a This Is Us type of scenario, but much much different and Again, I really like the diversity that I saw with respect to the cast. And that's, you know, that that's something that I think we need to see more of on television. I think we're actually seeing more of that on television. I mean, even if you look at a network like a, a CBS, which uh, traditionally you didn't see as much diversity, you're seeing a lot of diversity really right now. I mean, a, a show that I can think of off the top of my head in terms of CBS is God friended me with the cast, etc. Of course, on this program in the past, we've had Javika Leslie, who is a Hampton graduate, as a matter of fact, who's one of the stars of God friended me. So we're starting to see a lot more diversity. I've been liking what NBC NBC has been doing uh, a lot of uh, uh, different uh, different shows uh, with a lot of diversity, even some black shows for quite some time right now. Up next here on this special edition of Box to Row, 
We continue yeah, yeah, our listen yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. What's up, y'all? You know what it is. Your boy, the one and only C-Block General, Jaden Kiss. Why the whole world love my voice? Why I try to tell them that it's the flow, son? And right now you're checking out from the fresh box to fresh roll. You heard me? <laughs> they got me in the system. Donald Ware, host of From the Press Box to Press Row, the biggest names, our guests on Box to Row. Hey, everybody, what's going on? This is Anthony Anderson, international movie star and funny mother. And you're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. That is the voice of Kevin Durant. Well, I'm just, you know, trying to get better every single day. And I enjoy playing with a great group of guys. Hey, this is Ronda Rousey. You know what it is. This is the one and only D-O-Double-G. Ice Cube has been our guest. Hey, man, thanks for letting me talk a little music, movies, and sports. Say my favorite three topics. Hey, say what's happening, man? It's CIP, man. Hi, this is Jill Scott. I'm talking about none other than Serena Williams. That was definitely one of the better matches I've ever played. I've had it just like that. You know, it's really focused. It's really, you know, excited. Missed any of these interviews? Then check us out online at www.botchtorow.com. That's from the press box to press row. Real, relevant radio. It's Donald Ware, from the press box to press row. We're back here on this special edition of Box to Row, here on the HURN Network. Thank you to those listening to us on Sirius XM, Channel 141 HUR Voices, on Sirius XM, Channel 142 HBCU, and on WHUR World 96.3 HD2 in Washington, D.C. I am your host, Donald Ware. Well, again, we've been taking a listen back at some of the great interviews that we've had on this program uh, from January, February, uh, and March. And in February, had a chance to be at the Daytona 500 Media Day. It was a lot of fun. Had a chance to talk to a whole lot of drivers in person. I just, I tell you, I mean, I just had. You know, this first three or, or four months has just been absolutely tremendous, I think, for Box to Row. And just personally for me, a lot of times, you know, you, you, you're doing the work. We want to bring you a good program each and every week. We want to bring you some of the great guests and, you know, all of those great kind of things. And so sometimes I, I don't necessarily have a whole lot of fun, but I've had. You know, a tremendous amount of fun, more fun than I can remember having in quite some time. I mean, I guess subconsciously it's always fun. It's always fun to be with you. It's always fun to do the show. But I mean, in terms of, you know, actually outside um, understanding while I'm working that I'm having fun and really having that in the forefront of my consciousness and you know, had a chance to catch up with Bubba Wallace. Bubba Wallace is the only, had a chance to catch up with many NASCAR drivers, as a matter of fact. But Bubba Wallace is the only uh, black driver on the circuit. And I tell you what, we talked about a number of different things as I caught up with Bubba Wallace in Daytona, Florida, right before, or a couple of days before the Daytona 500. Yeah, no question. Your thoughts on 2019? 2019, last year was, ooh, last year was was kind of a up and down season for us. We didn't start off season too hot. 
Uh, and then we finally started getting into a rhythm around Charlotte in the All-Star weekend and, and winning the Open there, finishing fifth in the All-Star race, and then kind of putting together some good races here and there. And uh, I think the highlight of our year was finishing third at Indy, uh, and that was huge for us. And, and uh, you know, that, that's, that spoke volumes to a, a lot of people in the industry of what we were able to do. So we had a lot of speed that weekend, and uh, we tried to carry that on throughout the year. So a lot of ups and downs, uh, a lot of character-building moments, but all in all, it's part of racing, and that's what racing does to you. It produces some, some moments that you're proud of and then some moments that you, you hang your head and, and wish you could erase, and, but you learn from each and every moment like that. So we're now we're on to 2020 with a fresh start and uh, some exciting opportunities. You know, the tweet that I like, matter of fact, it's your pin tweet. It says, it reads, in fact, there is only one driver from an African-American background at the top level of our sport. I am the one. You're not going to stop hearing about the black driver for years. Embrace it, accept it, and enjoy the journey. Sort of speak to that. Yeah, so that was a lot of people get uh, frustrated over that because they feel like I am throwing race into the context here. And, and this all sparked after, a, um, after an interview I did. Uh, and the headline read as black driver and a lot of fans attacked that outlet and were like it's not about race it's it's it, he's a driver at the end of the day everybody's making it about race and so i was simply saying hey yes media outlets are going to get the clickbait if they put black driver at the headlines that's going to make you click on it mm-hmm. uh, if you just put another driver that happens to be black they're going to they're going to skip over it so it's it's all about the headlines these days so i'm ex- i'm saying Stop getting annoyed and stop getting frustrated. I'm, I, I deal with it. It's fine. So just let's enjoy it together. Let's just get through it all. Not me saying like, "Yep, I'm the black guy here. We're we're gonna. You're gonna not stop hearing about me." It was more along the lines of the fans like, "Hey, it's cool. I've I've been dealing with that for for a while now." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. No question. Yeah. Exactly. Um. Can you talk a little bit? I know there have been some some things written. I didn't have a chance to kind of read your thoughts about the depression mm-hmm. that you, you're dealing with and how you, in fact, deal with it. Yeah, yeah. The depression, I, I wouldn't say, I mean, it, it, I can't speak on everybody, but I'm sure people have a, a little ounce of depression when they're when they're brought into this world just from the start. And you don't know how that how it grows and how it you know latches on to certain things. And, and we're in a sport that... You know, uh, you're put on a pedestal, and you're you're expected to produce results, uh, no matter what the circumstances are. Uh, great results. You're expected to do all these great things, and, and and when you don't, you're then ridiculed, and 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 you're and you're and you're brought down, and 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 people don't know the the the, the true colors of the story or the or the the event or whatever it is, and. And, and you know, so for a lot of times, I spent a lot of time trying to defend myself, and 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 really, it, it wore me out. You know, trying to say, hey, you know, the reason why we ran bad was A, B, and C, and D, and and you try to carry this light and this positive message, and 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 it just wears you out and wears you down, and depression starts to build up, and you and you start doubting yourself, and it's like, man, is it really me? That's that's actually, you know, is that why we're running so bad and all this stuff and. There's just a lot of things that, that this sport produces. And you had a lot of stuff going on in personal life. Parents going through divorce, that takes a toll on people. And and so you had you had a lot of different outlets coming in attacking that and, and finally I just had enough of it. 
Yeah. That the voice of Bubba Wallace drops in number 43 for Richard Petty Racing joins us here um, from the press box to press row. It is Daytona 500 uh, Media Day. We are at Daytona International Speedway. I asked you this this question because we sat right out here last year and there was, you know, uh, just a lot be- prior to the race, right prior to the race. You're allowed to go on the track and so forth. A lot of. African Americans coming up to your car specifically, mm-hmm. yeah, which I thought was really cool. Um, you know, kind of your thoughts um, in terms of you um, as a driver, sort of attracting that audience mm-hmm. that generally may not have really been into NASCAR yeah, historically. Yeah. No, that's uh, that's that was big. You know, having having everybody come up. You know, I had. Had conversations with Hank Aaron on the phone, you know, hmm. 2018, uh, day 2500, moments before climbing in the car, which was really cool. Um, I had, you know, multiple people come up and and, and want to take pictures and, and whatnot, and it, and it, that's that's the job we're doing is is we're trying to open up open up to a new audience, and so whatever it takes and and the outlet that they can come out and enjoy a race because of me, that's that's all the better. So I appreciate the support that we uh, that. that I receive and, and 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 it's a fun it's a fun process. You know, there's a lot of cool things that we get to do in our sport. We meet new people, and that's one of the things that I say when people ask, "What's your favorite thing about sport?" Traveling and meeting new people, and that's what you know the avenues bring. So um, we're excited about it. I don't know who's going to show up uh, for for this year's Daytona 500. I know Charles Woodson was last year uh, was here last year, so that was really cool. Um, but we'll see. Yeah, real conversation with Bubba Wallace. During the Daytona 500 Media Day, and I had a great conversation. It was great to catch up with Bubba Wallace. Finally, on this special edition of Box to Row here on the Howard University Radio Network, had a chance about a couple of weeks ago, as a matter of fact, to catch up with Dr. Ben Chavis, who is the CEO of NNPA, National Newspaper Publishers Association civil rights leader. Uh, I mean, it was just a great conversation. Wanted to talk with him about the state of black newspapers, but also talked with him about some other things, including the Wilmington 10. Can you speak to us about how black newspapers are still relevant now? Well, thank you. I can speak authoritatively about the black press, particularly about black newspapers. I started my career with the Carolina Times when I was in the sixth grade from Mountain, North Carolina. Mr. Lewis Alton, the publisher of the Carolina Times in Durham, allowed me to write editorial when I was in the sixth grade. I've been writing for the black press ever since. But today in 2020, we need the black press more than ever before. There are 230 African-American-owned newspapers currently in America uh, represented by the NNPA. And I'm so pleased with the North Carolina papers uh, there in Raleigh, the Carolinian, the Carolina Times in Durham, the Wilmington Journal, the Carolina Peacemaker in uh, Greensboro, the Winston-Salem Chronicle, the Charlotte Post, and the County News. We got the Asheville, the Urban Asheville, the Urban News down in Greenville, North Carolina, the Drum. So we are all over the state. The Fayetteville News. We are all over the state and all over the country. And the relevancy. We just seen on Super Tuesday the importance of the Black vote. And one of the reasons why the black vote was so uh, mobilized this year is because of the black press encouraging our people to vote. And, of course, this is also the census year uh, with the black press is out leading, making sure that we are counted and not undercounted in the 2020 census. 
Lastly, it is Wilmington 10 is part of your legacy, no question. Any, uh, and sometimes we just have to go through things. But you, you served some time in jail. Like, is there any yes. ill will behind that with you? No, no. One of the things, I, you know, I worked for Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. when I was a teenager. One of the things Dr. King taught us in Southern Christian Leadership Conference in the early days of the civil rights movement is that bitterness only distorts the beholder. So even though, yes, we were wrong, we were treated badly, uh, almost lost my life a couple of times in the North Carolina prison system because of threats from white supremacists while I was incarcerated. But we survived it. I got my master's degree, Magnum Cum Laude, from Duke Congress while I was in prison in North Carolina. So I, I refused to serve time. I made time serve the movement. I made time serve the interests of uh, black Americans uh, and African people throughout the world. Mandela and I became very close friends while I was in prison in the 70s. He was in prison in in, uh, in South Africa, and we uh, I was welcoming him to speak to the NWCP convention in 1993, uh, two former political presidents. So yeah, you know yeah, you know I think that no matter what trials and tribulations, this is the message. No matter what trials and tribulations we go through in life, we should make sure that whatever we go through, it strengthens us and not weakens us. I think um, uh, that's why African Americans have such a resilience. We've been through a lot as a people. Unprecedented uh, inhumanity uh, directed toward uh, African Americans and other people of color. But the record shows, our history shows, our legacy shows that we are resilient. Resilience is in our DNA. We should always not only try to overcome, but to stand up and make sure that the next generation has a better quality of life. Dr. Ben Chavis rounds out this listen back at the first three months here of box to row gotta get ready to run here on box to row thank you to sarah wayne collins for joining us on the program don't forget a fresh perspective of from the press box to press row talking sports on a radio station near you on radio stations all across the country all across the country Log on to our website at BoxToRow.com. Click on the affiliates link to find a radio station in your area that carries the program. And always remember to support those that support you. Box to Row is presented by DW Communications.